in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Arch Stone, and with me as always is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Artie, thank you for having me back on your show. I'm so glad to be here. I gotta tell you, I had a hell of a time getting out to the studio today. <laughs> Where's that, Andy? Well, that? <laughs> let me tell you, I go to the airport, okay? And, of course, I've got all of my usual Things in my suitcase. I've got my clothes. I've got Actually, my toilet. I got my toiletries. You got you have your toilet. I have my BDSM gear. Oh yeah, you love the goop mask. And of course, I've got my collection of firearms. <laughs> and I'm telling you, what a mix-up at the security at the airport. They thought that I was going to shoot people on the plane, and I'm like, uh, no. Well, I got to tell you, Andy. the safeties are on. Yeah, they're all fully loaded, but the safeties are on. I mean, come on, what am I going to do? Take this out of my backpack and start shooting people? I can't do that. You're a real straight shooter. Anyway, folks, <laughs> we'll be right back. Uh, that was our... Uh... That's our pilot for a late show that we're creating. Here's Johnny. It's called Here's Johnny. Um, it's where I play Johnny Carson and you play Ed McMahon? What was his name? Ed McMahon. Ed McNugget. Anyway. Hey-o! <laughs> Johnny, you told him. Hey-o! Uh, here he is. Here's Johnny. Bunk Bunkers, uh, we're being jovial, but you know, today's topic, oh boy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not much jovial about it. No, it's a bad situation. Uh, we are talking the JonBenet Ramsey murder. One of the uh, preeminent unsolved, at least as of this recording. That's right. Uh, murder mysteries in the USA. JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah. Not a fun one. Uh, the murder of a six-year-old? Six-year-old. Six-year-old girl in boulder colorado um media sensation this case was yeah um we're going to talk all about it we're going to give you a, a large list of suspects and then um you know we're going to figure a it large out. list of suspects and yet at the same time bunk funkers a very trimmed down list of suspects yeah there's a lot of suspects we'll see case. now um this this topic was sent to us by a bunk funker and a patron and a patron one of our dear uh, sweet bunk funkers. That's right. Uh, and one of our blessed Patreon patrons. Blessed. Blessed. 
Uh, this one came to us from David. David! David! Thank you for the suggestion. We hope we do a good job. Yeah. You'll have to let us know in the Discord what right. you thought. Right. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, John Bonet Ramsey, you know, bunkfuckers, if you can't wait to get to all that unsolved, if you can't murder, wait to hear about a child murder, right? Uh, unsolved mystery uh, of the John Bonet Ramsey murder. Um, you know, as always, you can check the episode description. Look in there. There's a timestamp. Tell you right at when the research begins. Because first, and I need to update you on our life in the bunker. Ah, uh, bunker life. Daddy's life. Daddy's life. Daddy's um, life. Art and I, bunk funkers, of course. We are two daddies. We yeah. are co-parenting mm-hmm. our family, which consists of me. It consists of Art. It consists of our teenage undead Sasquatch son, Peon Musk. Right. And also our adult baby son, David Crosby. Yep. And we've been having adventures we've been having misadventures and today another misadventure i guess you could say in some sense um started off great i mean we did what we love to do which is going down to the local applebee's go down to the local applebee's and today was special because it's trivia night at applebee's trivia night it's there's 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 two for one apple fritters Two for one apple fritters. The famous, what Applebee's is known for, their apple fritters. And we can't, we can't eat them up fast enough. Uh, we, this isn't a deal, but we always say there's Virgin Long Island iced teas, uh, all night long. Yeah. I mean, and this is, we should, we should clarify this is not a sanctioned trivia event or anything. No. This is not something that Applebee's put on. It's just, you know, we find if you go to the bar there at Applebee's, the Barplebee's, that, and you just shout trivia questions loud enough. People eventually either join in, yeah, or they leave, right? Or you know, whatever they feel. I mean, people people would do whatever they want. That's it's a free country. The beauty country. of a public space is you can just make it your own. Yeah, it's it's and for you everybody. Can just coerce the general public yeah. into doing what you want to do, and there's nothing they can do about it because it's a public space. Yeah. So we're doing what we do every night, which is hanging down at the Barplebees. Um, Trying to get trivia going, just shouting trivia questions into the trivia, air. Maybe pick up some strange at the same time. Oh, baby, yeah. You know, two birds with one stone, right? And you know, <sighs> here's the thing: we got it. We got to give a shout out to a a, a bunk funker and a, and a patron, Sarah, for a a beautiful artistic rendition. This was posted in the in the Patreon bunker Discord of um, Chuck Anger hanging out with the snowman skeleton at a bar, picking up some strange. This is, of course, at the Barple Bees, right? And this, um, this is we should we should clarify too. This is the the full bodied snowman, so not just the skeleton. Right, right, right. He's he's, he's clearly drinking he's clearly, uh, his clearly nest, got his nest tea, his nest tea, and he's he's all nice and frosty. And then Chuck Yeager is a very handsome, like handsome Squidward esque cowboy. Yeah, picking up strange that looks like uh, Andy and I. So it was yeah. a very fun role reversal for us to see ourselves being the strange that we're picking up. Yeah. And it was very cool. It was very cool, very hot. Definitely made us feel like we're doing the right thing because right. <laughs> it was very, very sexually satisfying to right. see that picture, that drawing. I mean, if I was some strange and um, uh, you know, and 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 the and the snowman skeleton, the Nestle snowman skeleton and Chuck Yeager came up trying to pick me up at the bar. Oh baby. Oh. Yeah. I'm wet already. <laughs> You're getting my number. <laughs> <laughs> and that number is sixty nine, baby. Woo. But anyway, yeah, we were uh, we were at the the Barple Bees uh, playing 
horse trivia night. Yeah. And <laughs> mandatory trivia. <laughs> mandatory trivia. <laughs> and on this on this night in particular, yeah. there was a guy at the bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the Barplebees. And I, this was one cool friggin' dude. Dude. I mean, I mean, is there anything better than going out to pick up some strange? And maybe you don't pick up some strange, but you make a new fucking friend. That's just almost as good. A bro down hoedown with a new friend. Yeah. Even better if you can all get some strange. Yeah. And that's what this guy was all about. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's loving the trivia. He's super into it. Oh, he's so into it. He keeps talking about getting more Virgin Long Islands. I mean, this guy. Our is, drink of choice. Our drink of choice. He keeps talking about picking up some strange. Uh, he also keeps talking about loading up in his mid-2000s Ford Mustang and going back to our place, the bunker, oh, for a wild the night. The mid-2000s Mustangs? The classic the era classic. of Ford Mustangs. Get that 60s and 70s bullshit, that fucking Shelby. Get Fuck. Ugh. Right. Show me the mid-aughts car design. Oh, God. It's oh, so sexy. So cool. And this guy had one. Yeah. And he was like, hey... Let's 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 do some trivia. Let's pound some Long Islands, Virgin. Let's pick up some strange. Let's pack pile into the my mid two thousands Mustang. Yeah, and let's head back to your place and have some fun. And of course, oh. he got me hook, line, and sinker. I know we were totally ready to do some fucking trivia. Yeah, you know what? He was like, "Hey, let's let's do a little bit in the bathroom before we head out." So we go into the we crowd into one stall, the non handicap stall. Tight squeeze. The handicap skull was in use. There's a guy in there taking a big fat shit. I mean, it's it's Applebee's. What do you expect? So we crowd into the non-handicap stall at the and the Applebee's, and he's like, all right, he pulls out a mirror and he's cutting lines of like uh trivia pursuit cards. And so we all do a couple of rounds of trivia just to get edged up, get to amped up, man, you know? Yeah. And he's talking about the, you know, the circumference of a of a of the fucking planet Earth. He knows that he's hitting that one, and that fucking that one gets you all charged up. <laughs> yeah, you're like, give me another. Yeah. You're like, okay, what's the gestation period for a a typical polar bear? Oh my god! And you're just like, oh baby, you're getting oh, charged yeah, up. I was so. getting so charged up. So we, you know, we did a little trivia in the bathroom. Yeah, a couple and, of bumps, couple of bumps of trivia in the bathroom. Yeah, you know, just, just to kick the night off, keep things going, and. You know, we had a few Long Islands. We we did get stuck in the stall for a little bit. Yeah, it was hard to get out. You kind of had to, you, then you decided, well, if I'm here, I'm going to go. And we were like, all right. That helped clear some space, actually. A little bit. You made us, though, you made us like stay in the stall with you. Well, it felt safe. Because you can't like open the, st- you know, the right. stall's open inward. Yeah. But um, eventually we got out. Right. We got out. Uh, we snuck, headed back. Snuck past the Applebee's security because, you know, <laughs> can't let them know what we're yeah. doing in the bathroom. Yeah. They got a real tight security program at, at Applebee's. Well, it's the hostess, Gina. You don't want to, I mean. You don't want to mess with Gina. You don't want to mess with Gina. Unless you got a pocket full of $50 bills, you know what I mean? She can be bought. She'll turn a blind eye, you know, for the right amount. We were riding high, though. We were riding high. Oh, my God. A couple of went bumps of trivia. The, went back to the bar, pounded a few Long Islands, and we we ended up- Virgin Long Islands. Virgin Long Islands. And we did everything that we said we were going to do, except get some strange. Fuck the strange. Bro night. Bro night. We ended up- Oh, my God. There, I closed it down, piled into this mid-2000s Mustang. Purple. Beautiful. <laughs> 
it was uh it was it was this very cool paint color where um, not only was it purple but it was like heat sensitive so if you touched it it uh transitioned to pink yeah so so cool because cool, you could just leave these you know handprints or so like... basically the whole front of the car was pink <laughs> yeah the engine apparently gets really hot in this car so <laughs> woo, we were charged up man we were having a great time. He is he is blasting. He is blasting. Uh, he's blasting some Vanessa Carlton. Um, one thousand miles. Making my way downtown. Down, walking fast. fast faces past. I'm homebound. homebound. And then it's like he had this whole soundtrack uh, based around the the motif of of distances and miles. Yeah. So you had the Proclaimers, five hundred miles. Mm-hmm. You had. Uh, 1,000 miles. Uh, <laughs> you had... Um, yeah. Yeah. You had Miles Davis. You had... Uh, <laughs> that was it. Those three songs. <laughs> three songs. And it was great. It was an awesome playlist. Great, play- great playlist. And we were just, you know, rocking out. Yeah. Oh, man. And... Ah, uh, we got taking the- our tops off, flashing people down on the strip. There's a small strip, the small strip of, between the fortresses of App of Walmart. Right. This is a little bit of a strip mall. Yeah. So of course it's like slug bug. You got a strip. Yeah. Or holding your breath outside of a cemetery. Right. So yeah. it was great. Art we took were- his top off. I took my bottoms off. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bro down hoedown. What are bro you gonna down, do? Down. And so we end up back here at the bunker, and yeah. this guy's like, "Hey," he's like, "Ah, yeah." I'm really charged up, you two fucking idiots! And he just—he really changed all of a sudden. Yeah, it took a on quick a dime. Turn. Yeah, he got real aggressive. I think he must have done too much trivia. Yeah, some too- people, some people can't handle their trivia. Yeah, or maybe one too many Virgin Long Islands. Well, you know, one's an upper, one's a downer. So right. yeah, and they don't always—it's not like there's a balance with right. it. Right, you got to find that sweet spot. So he starts getting real aggressive, and he's right. like, "I am Mister Bunker." I keep abducting you and you're not getting it. Why are you so stupid? You literally invited me back to the bunker with you tonight because you can't even, I'm not even in costume. Right. I'm not even doing anything. I just showed up where you go every night. And it's like, are you watching us weirdo? Have you been trying to get into our home this whole time? Some people just can't handle their trivia. Yeah, that's true. That's what it is. That's true. We can't judge him too harshly. You got to really, I think really bunk hookers. And here's some advice from two daddies is um, be careful who you bring back to your home because they might seem like a cool bro down, hoedown material. They might seem like Chuck Yeager, a Chuck Yeager type or a skeleton snowman type who 100% would bring back to the home every single day. No question. You could bro down, hoedown with those guys all night. Yeah. But this guy, I think we misjudge uh, very much a charlatan. Yeah. You know, had yeah, some great clearly, trivia. Clearly, was born in Charlotte. So this is some this is some quality trivia. I mean, this stuff might have come from Columbus. Yeah, this might be hundred percent Columbusian. Columbian, trivia. yeah, trivia. Um, so, but I mean, we're talking high quality Milton Bradley level yeah. trivia pursuits. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right, Art. Maybe I'm judging too harshly. I mean, this guy was clearly struggling. Yeah. Screaming at us, locking us here in the yeah, studio. Yeah, telling us all this stuff. And then, yeah, eventually locking us here in the studio. 
I mean, it probably was just a bad reaction. I mean, this guy is not familiar with this kind of good quality trivia. Yeah. So we probably opened his eyes to a whole new world. I hope. I hope we could see him again. Well, at the Applebee's bar, the Barplebee's. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think in the future, Andy. You know, just between me and you and the bunkfuckers who are listening, you know, I think we need to really stake our claim at the Barplebee's. We can't we can't have these kind of people selling. I mean, that's our home. That's our home spot. Mm, that's true. That's our home spot. Yeah, and we, don't we owe miss- it to Gina. Yeah, and the rest of the Applebee's and the bartender, Paul. Paul. Mm. No, David. that was the guy from Coles. I don't remember his name. Yeah. I I mean, every time I'm at the bar, I'm drinking way too many Virgin Long Islands to remember anything. It wipes me out. <laughs> well, if any bunkfucker lore masters out there remember the name of the bartender at Applebee's, let us know. Clark. Clark. Maybe. Uh, Jeffrey. <laughs> some name like that. We, we owe it to them. Oh, no. He was named after an apple. His name is Jonah Gold. But anyway, bunk funkers, um, we might not be able to open your minds to the to the world of trivia, but we will open your minds to the John Benet Ramsey case. Yeah, get ready to have that come right. into your brains. Yeah, uh, bunk funkers, this is a gruesome murder of an innocent little girl, and uh, a, as far as we know, innocent. As far as we know, and uh, this is a. <laughs> we don't know that this was not a criminal child. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, wait, and the thing is, there's, you know, the the suspects on this case are n- not few and far between. We'll say that. Yeah, that's true. It's an exhaustive list. So, uh, Bunkfunkers, uh, here it is. Without further ado, the John Benet Ramsey murder here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Nil sine numine. That's Latin, bunkfunkers. It means nothing without providence or deity. And it just so happens to be the state motto of the U.S. state of Colorado. Colorado's nickname is the Centennial State because it officially became a state in 1876, not long after the USA's centennial. Colorado is a large state in the western USA with a varied geography from the plains in the east to the Rocky Mountains in the west. Colorado is a beautiful place, to be sure. Colorado has also been the home of some pretty famous people. Luminaries such as Major League Baseball pitcher Goose Gossage, comedian and actor Tim Allen, (laughs) and of course, Dwayne Dog Chapman, better known as Dog the Bounty Hunter. Go with Christ, brah. Wow, Andy. Well, that's certainly a murderer's row of celebrities. Let's not forget one famous Colorado Colorado resident who was murdered and whose unsolved case has lived in infamy for multiple decades. I am, of course, talking about John Benet Ramsey, a child beauty pageant star who, at the age of only six years old, was found murdered in her family's home. The case garnered extensive media coverage, but at least at the time of this recording, remains completely unsolved. Luckily, unlicensed and unwanted private investigators, Andy and Art, are here to thoroughly examine the whole enchilada on Jean-Benet Ramsey. 
John Benet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. John Benet's parents were John Bennett Ramsey and Patricia Patsy Ramsey, and they were only too keen to recycle their own names when John Benet was born. John Benet also had a brother, Burke, who was three years older, and two grown half siblings from John's previous marriage. John Ramsey was the president of a computer software company named Access Graphics, which eventually was acquired by Lockheed Martin. In 1991, the Ramsey family relocated from Atlanta to Boulder, Colorado, where Access Graphics had its headquarters. Once in Boulder, Patsy Ramsey, herself a former beauty queen and 1977's Miss West Virginia, began entering Jean Benet in beauty contests. And Jean Benet was a hit, winning her first pageant at only four years old. She would go on to win the titles of Little Miss Colorado, Little Miss Charlevoix, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, America's Royale Miss, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. Don't forget, Bunkfunkers, that I'm also a frequent pageant participant. My titles include Royale with American Cheese Boy, Large Mr. Charlevoix, <laughs> Montana Big Bear Daddy, Illinois Loudmouth Chubby Men Poster Boy, and American Most Wanted. <laughs> I don't know about you, Bugbuggers, but hearing about Andy's pageant success has certainly made me think about murder. I don't know why. <laughs> chubby Man Poster Boy. <laughs> mouth Chubby Man Poster Boy. Boy, you were so excited. I remember when you won that one. It was, God, you were excited. It took a lot of work. Yeah. I had to really impress the judges by being obnoxious and overweight. <laughs> So let's talk about John Bonet's murder. Uh, first, we need to set the scene here. It was Christmas time in Boulder, and the Ramses did Christmas in a big way. The home was decked out in decorations, as was typical. You got your tree, you got your stocking, fireplace, I'm sure, lights outside, um, presents under the tree, a decorated tree from head to toe. Trees in every room. Trees in every room. Just a couple of days before the holiday, their house was visited by neighbors on a parade of homes to see everyone's decorations. It was a festive time. The family had a lovely Christmas morning. Burke had got just what he wished for. I mean, this is chef's kiss. A Nintendo 64. Good choice, Burke. John and Patsy got each other just what they wished for. A Nintendo 69. (laughs) That's a two-player co-op game, if you know what I'm saying. Anyway. Following the day's festivities, the family went to sleep in their beds. John and Patsy arose early in the next morning, preparing for a trip that day to their summer home in Michigan. According to Patsy, that morning on December 26th, 1996, at about 5.45 a.m., she found a two-and-a-half-page ransom note addressed to John's Ram- John Ramsey on the kitchen staircase. And this was some kind of ransom note. The ransom note was handwritten. Uh, according to the note, which was signed with the initials SBTC, Sean Benet was kidnapped by, quote, a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction, end quote. The note promised that Jean Benet was, quote, safe and unharmed, end quote, and would remain so if the Ramseys forked over the very specific amount of $118,000 cash. More on that amount in a little bit. The note requested $100,000 in $100 bills and $18,000 in $20 bills. The abductors further advised John to expect a call the next morning 
which could have meant either the 26th or the 27th, between 8 and 10 a.m. with delivery instructions, unless he got the money earlier, in which case the call might come earlier. I mean, clearly, these were thoughtful kidnappers. Not only did they want to work around John Ramsey's schedule, they also included a few helpful tips for Mr. Ramsey. Things like, quote, make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank, end quote, end quote. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested, end quote. <laughs> hey, while that is good advice, Andy, let's not forget that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this was still a ransom note. These were uh, child kidnappers. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> the note, uh, well, I mean, that advice was good advice. You should be well rested before delivering payment for the return of your kidnapped child. Right. Yeah. So get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah. The note said that John Bonet would be killed. If John tried to pull any funny business. So, I mean, no, no showing off his, his tight five from the late nineties standup. No, no funny business. None of no, no, he should not put on jeans and a blazer yeah. and go stand in front Roll of a plain brick wall yep. and tell jokes. John, it was also said that the two men keeping watch over John Bonet were not fans of John Ramsey. So he better not quote unquote provoke them. The note then begins to list a variety of actions that could result in John Bonet's murder and warns John Ramsey not to underestimate the skills of the kidnappers. It ends with, quote, victory! End quote, which, I mean, I don't know, Andy. It just kind of seems like the dorkiest way possible to end a ransom note. Like, they don't even have the money yet. Victory? Yeah. What did they win? Excelsior! It's like, <laughs> fucking nerds. Why not just end it with, we're watching you or quote, think about your daughter or quote, don't fuck this up and quote. I mean, all of those would have been way cooler, way more serious. Uh, you're, you're right, Art, but you know, what's even cooler than all that? Yeah. Not listening to instructions and doing things your own way. And that's just what the Ramses did. Hell yeah. Woo. And Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Gotta go your real, own way. Real Fleetwood Mac moment here. Despite the notes warning not to contact authorities, Patsy immediately called the Boulder, Colorado police at 5.52 a.m. local time, and two officers came three minutes later and searched the Ramsey residence. Police found no clear signs of forced entry, save for a broken basement window. John Ramsey told police he broke the window months earlier after locking himself out of the home. A forensics team soon came to the Ramsey house and, operating under the hypothesis that Jean Benet had been kidnapped, only made her bedroom off-limits. People were free to contaminate evidence throughout the rest of the home. This was especially problematic because Patsy had called friends and family immediately after calling 911, so a steady stream of people started showing up at the house, possibly destroying evidence in all kinds of places. During this time, the Ramseys also started working on getting together the ransom money. The amount of the ransom money, again, $118,000, was, according to John Ramsey, almost the exact amount of his Christmas bonus for 1995. Rub it in. <laughs> this led to some belief that the author of the note knew information about John's pay, or at least could get that information somehow. A Boulder detective came to the house a little later, uh, around eight in the morning local time, waiting for more instructions from the kidnappers. If you'll, if you'll recall, the note mentioned the Ramses could expect a call between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., but uh, nothing happened, and no one tried to claim the ransom. Later in the day, John Ramsey and family friend Fleet White, great name, great name, uh, were searching the home for clues. 
as advised by a detective. There, in a room in the basement, John and Fleet found John Bonet's body. Now, uh, bunk bunkers, obviously, this should be expected with this topic, but just a word of warning here. We're going to describe the scene and the crime a bit, and as you can imagine, it, it's it's somewhat distressing. So, Jean Bonet, uh, when her body was discovered, had a white blanket wrapped around her midsection. She had a garrote around her neck, crafted from nylon rope and tied to a paintbrush. The nylon rope was also binding her right hand. The paintbrush had come from Patsy's art supplies, which could be found in the Ramsey's basement. Jean Bonet's mouth had been taped with black duct tape. After discovering Jean Bonet, John Ramsey ripped off the duct tape, picked up Jean Bonet's body, and carried it upstairs. Another great opportunity to contaminate valuable evidence and disturb the scene of a crime. A later autopsy determined that Jean Bonnet was strangled twice with his homemade garrote. Additionally, Jean Bonnet's body showed evidence of blunt force head trauma in the form of a broken skull with an 8-inch fracture. <clears throat> According to the then-Boulder police chief, Mark Beckner, the swelling in Jean Bonnet's brain indicated the blow to her head happened between 45 minutes and 2 hours prior to Jean Bonnet being strangled. Medical examiners also found indications of a possible sexual assault. The autopsy found material at Jean Bonnet's stomach that may have been pineapple, which Jean Bonnet had eaten not long before her death. John and Patsy claimed to not remember giving Jean Bonnet any pineapple to eat. Investigators' photos of the home showed a bowl of pineapple with a spoon in it on a table next to a glass of tea. The bowl had Burke and Patsy's fingerprints on it, and the glass had Burke's fingerprints. But the Ramseys said Burke slept through the night, even for several hours after police came to the house. Now, for what it's worth, Burke has said he was awake after Patsy came into his room not long after phoning the police, but Burke chose to stay in bed, unsure of what was going on in the home. Ultimately, Jean Bonnet's cause of death was officially ruled asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. Jean Bonnet's death was also officially ruled a homicide. Now we're going to talk about the investigation into what happened to Jean Bonnet. Um, there was intense media coverage of Jean Bonnet's murder and the investigation. I mean, you've got the gruesome nature of this crime. Um, Jean Bonnet's beauty pageant past, Patsy's role as a, you know, pageant mom, the family's wealth and, and high social standing. All of this contributed to very high public interest. And all of this attention led to wide public speculation about what befell Jean Bonnet. Some believe that John Ramsey molested Jean Bonnet and murdered her to cover it up. Other people speculated that Patsy murdered John Bonet, raging because John Bonet wet the bed, which apparently was an issue for John Bonet, who allegedly wet the bed nightly. In fact, the investigation found urine on John Bonet's body and in her underwear. Some believe Patsy struck John Bonet or threw John Bonet against a hard surface in a fit of anger and then strangled her in a, as, as a way to create the appearance of a home invasion, which in this hypothesis is a story created by Patsy uh, to obscure her own guilt. Even the police had their doubts about the innocence of John and Patsy, even announcing they were focused on John Bonet's parents as suspects rather than a kidnapper. The, Ram <clears throat> the Ramses did not cooperate fully with the police investigation, including not agreeing to detailed interviews with police until April 1997, four months after Jean Bonnet's murder. 
They finally agreed only three days after offering a $100,000 reward for information about Jean Benet's murderer. By this time, the couple had also already appeared on TV to tell their story and ask for help in finding Jean Benet's killer. John and Patsy later said they did this because they were worried police would immediately identify them as the key suspects rather than fully exploring the possibility that an intruder murdered Jean Benet. There was a lot of investigative scrutiny on Patsy Ramsey in particular, with even the Colorado Bureau of Investigation noting in a report, quote, there are indications that the author of the ransom note is Patricia Ramsey, end quote. Agents from the FBI told the local police that it would be strange for such an uncharacteristically long ransom note to be composed at the scene of the crime. Examining the note, police did not find any fingerprints except for Patsy's and the officers who handled the note. Police also found that the note itself and a practice draft were written on a pen and notepad belonging to the Ramseys. Even with the initial focus on the Ramseys, the police eventually amassed more than 1,600 persons of interest. Now, hey, was this a police investigation or Andy's enemies list? (laughs) Okay, that's a good one, Art. It's true. I do have a lot in common with Richard Nixon. Uh, A sizable enemies list, the middle name Millhouse, and we both had a chance to attend Harvard, but didn't. Nixon turned down an offer to go there, and I was asked to stop applying and eventually subject to a restraining order. (laughs) Oh, Andy, you're dumb and scary. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho, uh, police looked into the specific dollar amount of the ransom, uh, which again, $118,000, was pretty damn close to the amount of John's Christmas bonus the year before John Bonet's murder. They looked into possible connections to employees at Access Graphics, John's company, and also looked into whether the amount was related to Psalm 118 in the Bible and that, you know, maybe there was some strange religious connection to this crime. Now, as someone who's read the Bible, cover to cover, cover to cover, even some of the extra parts that you're not supposed to read. That's right. (laughs) You're not supposed to read. Don't read this. Uh, Now, as someone who's read the Bible, I can tell you Psalms 118 (laughs) is all about God and how great God is and how you should rely on God more than anything or anyone else and like how God will help you overcome your haters and like how God might punish you till it hurts, but not go so as as so far to kill you. Ooh, neat. mm -hmm. (laughs) God will hurt you, but he won't kill you. That's right. He will deliver you. It might hurt. You may not like it, but you won't die. That is very, uh, that's somewhat disconcerting. So anyway, why do you overcome your haters? That's true. Get a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So anyway, some investigators believe that the, the crime was committed by a person who broke into the house and murdered John Bonet. Investigators found that on the night of John Bonet's murder, two windows in the Ramsey house were left ajar slightly so that the electrical cords from the Christmas lights could pass through. Investigators also learned one door in the house had been left unlocked the night of the crime. Then, you know, of course, there was the broken window in the basement. Even though the investigation also found an intact cobweb in the window, intact cobwebs on the steel grate covering the window, and intact landscaping outside the window, all suggesting that nobody had passed through it unless they were a gardening spider. Which... You know, I we can't I mean, rule out the possibility. There's 1,600 suspects in a list. It could be a, a spider is one of them. A large gardening spider. So in the basement room where John Bonet's body um, had been found, 
um, investigators found a boot print on the floor. The print could not be attributed to anybody in the Ramsey family. The key proponent of the home invasion hypothesis was Boulder District Attorney Investigator and documented conversion van driver, Lou Smith. Smith's suspicion is that somebody got into the Ramsey's house through the basement window. They came in through through the the basement basement window. (laughs) Protected by their murder weapons. (laughs) Anyway, um, despite everything we already said about the basement window, Lou Smith believed that somebody came in through that basement window. Once inside... The intruder zapped Jean Benet with a stun gun to knock her out, took her to the basement, murdered her, and authored and left the ransom note at some point. The stun gun and the stun gun part of the story was based on some small rectangular, uh, or I've heard them described as triangular wounds on Jean Benet's body that Smith believed were consistent with the probe of a stun gun. Smith's hypothesis was supported by John Douglas, a former FBI agent hired by the Ramses. Wow. Now, this is a surprise. The Ramsey's hired investigator thinks they didn't do it? What a revelation! Oh, I think we found our verdict. Big take from Andy. (laughs) Dripping in sarcasm. (laughs) And other things. Another key piece of evidence in Smith's hypothesis are fingernail marks on Jean Benet's neck where she was garroted. The fingernail marks were Jean Benet's, which, in, in other words, they were Jean Benet's fingernails which suggests that Jean Benet was alive when she was strangled. Keep in mind, much of the theory that the Ramses uh, killed Jean Benet revolves around Jean Benet being accidentally killed, with the scene in the basement staged to make it look like an intruder murder her. Though, to be fair, some people who believe one of the Ramses murdered Jean Benet also believe that the initial blow to Jean Benet's head didn't kill her, but the family thought it did. So when they set up the garrote to make it look like an intruder committed the murder, Jean Benet was still alive and was still able to struggle to break free from her bindings. The strangulation, though, was actually, in this scenario, what killed Jean Benet. Speaking of Ramsey family murder scenarios, <laughs> Smith did not believe that Jean Benet wet the bed the night of her murder. According to Smith, the sheets on the bed appeared dry and had no evidence of urine. This guy's a real fucking bloodhound for piss. He's a piss hound. Yeah, he's a piss hound. Uh, it seems like the sheets had been on the bed for a while as fibers from the clothes John Bonet was wearing when she was murdered were found in the bed. The window that was broken by John Ramsey uh, was also a point of focus in Smith's investigation. Inside the basement under the window, investigators found a suitcase. The wall under the window had also been uh, was also scuffed. Inside the suitcase were some linens and fibers from the linens were found on John Bonet's body. Smith's hypothesis is that the killer attempted to smuggle John Bonet out of the basement in the staircase. The suitcase, however, did not fit through the window. So the speculation is that the intruder decided to assault and murder John Bonet in the basement. So all of this evidence led Smith to believe it was much more likely that someone broke into the Ramsey house and murdered John Bonet. And maybe Detective Smith was on to something. During the investigation, police found there were more than 100 burgl- burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood in the months leading up to Jean Benet's killing. It was also determined there were 38 registered sex offenders within two miles of the Ramsey's house. Additionally, it's been speculated that Jean Benet's pageant experience could have made her the target of child pornographers. All of this led to investigators also looking into a number of local child molesters for connections to the crime. 
But even with all the people of interest and the lengthy investigation, police did not uncover Jean Benet's killer, and the authorities were criticized for screw-ups in the investigation, such as not sealing the crime scene from civilian access, delays in interviewing John and Patsy, and for sharing information and evidence with the Ramseys. Ultimately, investigators couldn't agree on who was the most likely suspect or even whether the killer was a family member or an intruder. There were also disagreements between the Boulder police and the Boulder DA investigators, which led Colorado's governor to appoint a special prosecutor to convene a grand jury, which happened September 15th, 1998. Eventually, without new evidence, the case went cold. The case wasn't closed, but it did stay cold. Just like a refreshing Coors Light. (sighs) Now that's a cold case. Coors Light. Taste the Rockies. God, I love beer. I've had so many Coors Lights in my life. They always fucking stay so goddamn cold. My fucking beer isn't the frit, isn't like negative 200 Kelvin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shit my pants. I'm gonna fucking walk out of that bar if I don't get a goddamn Antarctica frozen ass beer. And only Coors Light is that cold, Andy. Coors Light. Taste the Rockies. The official beer of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Unofficially. Unofficially the official Unofficially the official beer. Then in December of 2003, investigators discovered a blood sample. This is going to come back. This is this is a big 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 piece of information. On JonBenet's underwear from which they established a DNA profile for an unknown male. Police compared the sample against some local sex offenders who did not match. Additionally, the FBI compared the DNA profile to profiles in its DNA database, which has over 1 million DNA profiles. This also did not return a match. Now, bunkfuckers, not everybody is so hot on the DNA evidence in this case, believing that, you know, the samples to be of questionable value, especially some of the touch DNA collected, which, you know, we'll bring up in a minute here. That said, the Boulder's DA lead investigator, A. James Kohler, uh, said additional DNA was found on the nylon rope and paintbrush. Kohler also said that overall, the DNA of six unknown persons was found during testing. As technology evolved, the investigation into Jean Bidet's murder also evolved. DNA testing done in 2006 and beyond yielded additional samples of so-called touch DNA, which is DNA in skin cells left behind after having contact with an object. The Ramses were tested against the DNA evidence, but a match was not made. In fact, the Ramses were eventually, and controversially, exonerated publicly by the Boulder DA in 2008, largely on the basis of the DNA evidence. JonBenet's case was reopened in 2010 after an inquiry by a committee of state and federal investigators. New rounds of interviews were conducted by authorities and police were supposedly employing modern DNA technology in their investigation. The new round of interviews failed to provide any new evidence. On January 27, 2013, it was revealed that in 1999, the grand jury found sufficient evidence to indict John and Patsy Ramsey on charges of child abuse resulting in death, but the district attorney wouldn't sign the indictment. Allegedly, the Boulder DA did not believe it could be proved in court beyond a reasonable doubt that the Ramseys were at fault. 
The district attorney's refusal led some to believe that the grand jury's investigation was not conclusive. On October 25th, 2013, court documents from 1999 were unsealed, which showed the grand jury alleged the Ramseys planned to stop authorities from arresting JonBenet's killer or at least delay the arrest. Unfortunately, the documents did not name the killer. As a note, the statute of limitations expired on the grand jury's charges in 2002. In 2016, a new forensic analysis report revealed that more sensitive DNA testing showed that the DNA sample from John Bonet's underwear actually contained, contained genetic markers from two people other than, than John Bonet. The case remains open, but unsolved as of this recording. Now, bunkfunkers, whip out your magnifying glasses and let's take a deeper look at the suspects. All of them. All 1,600. <laughs> LOL. JK Bunkfunkers, lol. We'll look at some of the prominent suspects on the list. First, there's John Ramsey. Obviously, some have speculated that John might have sexually abused Jean Bonnet and murdered her to cover it up. There's not a ton of evidence for this, and John has never matched to the DNA specimens obtained from Jean Bonnet's body. Next, there's Patsy Ramsey. Obviously, she was highly scrutinized by the investigation and even believed to have authored the ransom note. That said, in a later federal court case, the court concluded that Patsy was not the author of the note, citing the conclusions of six handwriting experts. Then we have Burke Ramsey. Burke was only nine years old at the time of Jean Benet's murder. Some have speculated that Burke accidentally killed Jean Benet, perhaps striking Jean Benet on the head for stealing pineapple from his bowl, and that John and Patsy covered it up while Burke was never a suspect pursued by authorities, he was interviewed multiple times by police and also was cleared by the DNA testing. Now for some non-Ramsey suspects. First up, John Mark Carr. In 2006, Carr, a former teacher, confessed to murdering John Bonet and was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, Carr was found in uh, was 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 in Bangkok on the run from child pornography charges, which is great. You love to hear about that from teachers. Yeah. Um, teachers into child pornography. Yeah. And uh, taking credit for murders. There you go. Uh, Carr's confession was problematic, though, because it claimed he had abducted John Bonet on the way to school, even though school wasn't in session at the time because it was Christmas. And John Bonet was witnessed sleeping in her bed before the murder. Carr claimed he drugged John Bonet, despite the autopsy finding no traces of drugs in John Bonet's body. And as you might guess, the DNA sample from John Bonet's underwear also did not match Carr. All of these inconsistencies led to charges against them being dropped. Then there's Michael Helgoth. Let's get this out of the way, bunkfunkers. Helgoth is a pretty cool name. What Michael Helgoth allegedly did, though, not cool. Yeah, very uncool. Helgoth was a U.S. Army vet who was a collector of military paraphernalia and at the time of the murder, a was a 26-year-old electrician slash scrap dealer. In 1997, Helgoth was turned in by a co-worker named John um, Kennedy. Kennedy said that Helgoth admitted to murdering John Bonet on a recording which was never actually produced. According to Kennedy, um, Helgoth was also, also told him that he had an accomplice, which were about to each make around 50000 or 60000 in a business venture. Aside from these, these claims, Helgoth owned a pair of boots, exactly the same as the boots, which uh, left a footprint in the Ramsey basement. 
Boulder police apparently compared the print found in the Ramsey basement to Helgoth's boot and could not make a match. Additionally, CNN reported that Helgoth was found to be in possession of a baseball cap with SBTC on it. Helgoth also owned a stun gun. A lot of mixed stuff here. Helgoth was considered a suspect by a private investigator hired by the Ramsey family, Ali Gray, uh, as well as investigators working for the Boulder District Attorney. Boulder police did not believe that Helgoth was involved in John Bonet's murder at all. Helgoth committed suicide on February 14th, 1997, not long after the Boulder District Attorney, Alex Hunter, made a televised announcement that investigators were focused on a suspect who was not named. The suspect was actually Patsy Ramsey, but some believed Helgoth's suicide may have been in reaction to this announcement. Others believe Helgoth was not um, Helgoth was not John Bonet's killer, but had helped the killer with the murder, and Helgoth's suicide was staged by the real murderer. And still others have said it was Kennedy who killed Helgoth and staged the suicide. Whatever the case may be, DNA testing done after Helgoth's death did not make a match to the DNA found on John Bonet's body. Next up, there's Chris Wolf. Chris Wolf was a reporter for the Colorado Daily and was turned into the police by his lover, Jacqueline Dilson. Dilson claimed that Wolf was away all night on December 25th, 1996, and when he finally returned home, his clothes were all dirty. Wolf took a shower and then went to sleep. Then, when the media started reporting on Jean Benet's murder, Dilson said Wolf got upset, railing against John Ramsey and saying that John was the murderer. Dilson claimed Wolf was opposed to big businesses and had a sweatshirt with SBTC, the Santa Barbara Tennis Club, on it. Dilson also said Wolf's handwriting was similar to that in the ransom note. A handwriting expert, Lloyd Cunningham, said Wolf could not be eliminated as a potential author of the ransom note. There was also some speculation about Wolf's connection to an Access Graphics employee whom he interviewed for a story some years earlier. The rumor, which Wolf denied, was that he had a romantic relationship with the employee who fed him information about John Ramsey, like the amount of John's Christmas bonus. After being stopped by police for driving with a suspended license, Wolf was arrested and jailed for 30 minutes, making him the only person to ever serve time in connection with Jean Benet Ramsey's murder. For what it's worth, Wolf said he had previously surrendered his license to Boulder police after a traffic stop. He believed both stops were part of a setup by police to justify arresting him in connection with Jean Benet's murder. In their book, The Death of Innocence, the Ramseys identified Wolf as a key suspect. The Ramseys also suggested Wolf as a prime candidate in television interviews. Wolf then sued the Ramseys for libel for including him in the book. All right, so we've got the Wolf character, but how about Gary Oliva? How about him? Uh, Gary Oliva was a sex offender who was in Boulder at the time, one of fucking many sex offenders. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, apparently. Uh, at the time of John Benet's murder and was often at a church near the Ramsey home. In 2000, Oliv uh, Oliva was arrested on drug charges and was found to be in possession of a picture of John Bonet cut out from a magazine as well as a stun gun. Alrighty. At the time, Oliva explained the photo saying this, quote, John Bonet's murder touched me very deeply. I felt she had an ex she was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument, a shrine to remember this little girl. 
Alrighty, uh, that's absolutely definitely not a creepy thing to say at all. No, definitely not a very weird thing to say publicly. No, about the, that's a, a very normal girl. thing for a convicted sex offender to say. <laughs> I built a I built a Hey Arnold Helga's shrine to Hey Arnold esque shrine to a little girl, and I just carry around a cut out of her picture cut from a magazine. <laughs> definitely not creepy, right? Yeah. A friend from Oliva's time in high school, Michael Vale, Vile? Vale. Vale. Alleged that Oliva claimed in a phone conversation the two had following John Bonet's murder that he had, quote, hurt a little girl, end quote. According to Vale, uh, Oliva had previously attempted to strangle his mother with a telephone cord. You Zoomers won't understand that one. What it's like to strangle your own mother with a telephone cord? How are you going to strangle your mother now with your cell phones? No, no chance, it. no chance. Fucking Zoomers, you don't even know. Back in our day. Back in our day. <laughs> a strangulation was only a phone cord away. And now look <laughs> at what society hath wrought. How do I strangle somebody? <laughs> There's Louise. Uh, the knots in the phone cord were very similar to those used to bind John Bonet. The Ramsey's private investigator, Ollie Gray, considered Oliva a possible suspect. And not just because Gary Oliva is like backwards Ollie Gray. They're very similar names. It's very similar. <laughs> just backwards. Uh, despite the investigative interest and the fact that everything we know about this guy is suspicious as hell and very creepy, Oliva's DNA did not match the DNA found at the crime scene. Next, there's Todd Fuss. Uh, what's the fuss about Fuss? <laughs> What's the fuss? Fuss was turned in by his wife, Bernice Johnson. Apparently, Fuss and Johnson's child participated in some of the same pageants as Jean Bonnet. According to Johnson, Fuss had previously watched girls at pageants get dressed. Fuss's DNA did not match the DNA from the crime scene. Ugh. And now we've come to one of the marquee suspects, Santa Claus. That jolly old home invader from the North Pole. That's right. Santa Claus was suspected of murdering Jean Bonnet Ramsey. Well... At least a guy who looked like Santa Claus was. Oh. Bill McReynolds was a Santa Claus impersonator and was a neighbor of the Ramseys. When McReynolds had to undergo heart surgery, Jean Benet gave him a vial of glitter, which McReynolds kept and later asked his wife to mix into his ashes after his death and cremation. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so... <laughs> McReynolds had visited the Ramsey house only two days prior to Jean Benet's murder. Having said all that, McReynolds was not a DNA match. And finally, bunk funkers, maybe the killer was Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell? A photo of Jean Benet that appeared in a 2019 A&E special called Hunting Jean Benet's Killer, The Untold Story, shows a woman in the background that looks possibly like Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite who was associated with convicted sex offender and possibly dead person, Jeffrey Epstein. To be fair, it's never been definitively proven that the woman in the background is Ghislaine Maxwell, but that hasn't stopped people from speculating that the pair of pedos were involved in John Bonet's murder. Now, Bugfuckers should have read that like Robin Leach, but that hasn't stopped people from speculating that the pair of pedos were involved <laughs> in John Bonet's murder. Uh, all, most headlines should be read in that kind of British voice. It just makes them more fun. Uh, now, Bugfuckers, as we already told you, this case turned into a media circus and not the fun kind with the, the aminals and the pies in the face and the food and the clowns. Not the fun kind of media circus. 
almost right away. I mean, you've got the public lacking an identified perpetrator, a cloud of suspicion hung over John and Patsy. The Ramseys continuing to maintain their innocence. They filed lawsuits against media outlets that they felt portrayed them in an unfair way. The couple eventually wrote a friggin' book called The Death of Innocence, which we mentioned earlier, where they told their side of the story. Media Circus. John Ramsey claims he spent the family's fortune, I mean, we're talking millions, multiple millions, on investigating John Bonet's murder and now has a hard time finding work since the crime. In 2004, John ran unsuccessfully for a seat in Michigan State House of Representatives. In 2012, John published another book called The Other Side of Suffering. The father of John Bonet Ramsey tells the story of his journey from grief to grace. Patsy Ramsey, um, you know, passed away in June 2006 due to ovarian cancer. Well, bunk funkers, this is your chance to do what authorities have been unable to do. Solve this friggin' case. What a Christmas treat that would be. So let's be good all year long. And let's write a letter about what we want. Then we'll take our hungry little mind tummies to bed on Christmas Eve while visions of Applebee's dance in our head. Then while we slumber, Funky Claws wriggles into our homes, leaving behind a special surprise. As we rise in the morning, excitement in the air, we unwrap our package to find that we got just what we asked for, a whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of the John Bonet Ramsey murder. Now, Andy, uh, you mm-hmm. weren't a child pageant star per se, but mm-hmm. you were featured in the Fort Bend County Fair Youth Swine Show. Is that true? That's yeah, true. <laughs> I sold for $1.50 a pound. <gasps> Ladies and gentlemen, Bunk Funkers, we got him. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> 
And he's a pig. Hang the banner, George W. Bush. George W. Bitch. <laughs> this is fucked up. This is a fucked this up case. Fucked up case. Um, amen. You know, I'm sorry. I just think that like child pageantry is fucking weird. It's weird. I do. I it's fucked up. Yeah. It's 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 very weird to me. I mean, I get it. I guess I get it. In some it. sense that Patsy was a beauty queen, so yeah. she kind of doesn't see anything weird about it necessarily. Or if like your kid is like, oh, I like it. I like to dress up and do little skits and do things. But like, I don't know. Every time you hear about it, it's always way too intense. This is like a really adorable child too, right? Yeah. I mean, Jean she, Benet? Yeah. She's an innocent, sweet little child. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's like, I don't know. Six years old, you know, is probably having fun doing this. I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe maybe this is more about me, but it's like there's an element of sexualization to a like child pageant. That's that, the creepy part. About that it. makes me very uncomfortable and makes me like, yeah, wonder about the types of people that are into pageants like that. Right. Because right. it's like uh, if it's like I don't this, know. this isn't this isn't like your kids putting on a little pageant and play. In the at the for, for the school play, and it's like, ah, aren't they so cute? Right. Everybody going there to watch the kids. Right. This is like you're parading these children around. They're doing like outfit inspection. Like it's like yeah. very sexualized, very creepy. Yeah. This would be like if uh, your 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 child's elementary school, like your kindergarten or your first grade or whatever. Right. The class play that year was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's a there's a level oh, of fuck. there's a level That's of cognitive disgusting. dissonance that yeah. I just don't it doesn't work for me. All right, kids, this year we're doing kinky boots. <laughs> we're All doing right. hair this year. We're doing hair. We're doing rent. You all have AIDS. Fucking hair. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a funny sketch. Like a fucking uh I could see like a Tim Robinson character doing that. Like the fucking kindergarten teacher who wants to put on hair. <laughs> Yeah. It's just he's unoblivious <laughs> yeah. to uh, how fucked up that is. Yeah. Um, no, child pageantry, very much unlike your youth swine show, which is very normal, very right. natural. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of just you feel like, ugh. After, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Not, I, my, not my thing. Yeah. I, I, I just can't. I can't understand the appeal of it. I mean, I guess the family seems like, oh, they, yeah, they had fun. This was like a good thing for Patsy and Jean Benet to do together. Like they both enjoyed it. It's like, ah, you know, because you hear sometimes about pageant moms. Yeah. And that's been suggested about Patsy that she was one of these pageant moms. Right. Or like a stage mom where it's, you know, pushing the child into this because that's what they want them to do. And the child hates it. You know, I don't know that it's. It's like that. It's more of a honey boo boo situation, I think, where, you know, Jean Benet was honey boo boo before honey boo boo. Right. I don't know. I honey boo boo was into it, right? There wasn't. I, I don't know. I, I Mama June's not a pageant. I have never touched that or any of these A and E shows with a ten foot pole. <laughs> Just like you know. But then hey, you look at these one. fucking freaks. It's like that, that's us. Yeah. That's why that's why people that's why people listen to this show. They want to listen to these two, two freaks. freaks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, though, maybe you say that like, oh, Jean Benet was okay with it. She liked it. 
she also maybe doesn't have that much of a choice because she won her first pageant when she was four years old. You can't really make your own decisions so much at true that age. True. So she probably had to go through pageants before that. So yeah. it just becomes like, this is what you do. I can't, I can't. I mean, I'm just talking about child pageantry in general. In general, I you agree. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's a. It I, you can see how it draws an unwanted crowd, creeps. Yeah. Sex offenders, child yeah. pornography. Yeah. Child, pedoph- pedophiles. Yeah. Um. Now, Andy, I was four years old at the time of this case. Okay, in this case here, you were in your late thirties. That's right. At the time. That's right. So. I had recently been laid off from my job mm-hmm. at the aircraft manufacturing plant and you were, you were working for big Boeing, big Boeing. I was between jobs and you were, uh, you were the airplane guy. So, I mean, at my house that year, it was yeah. kind of a light Christmas. We didn't have Ooh. as many presents under the tree, but definitely not as many as the Ramses. Right. Yeah. No, no kidding. I mean, I wasn't getting $118,000 Christmas bonus. I'll tell you that much. But I did the best I could for my fourth wife and our blended family. We each brought three children into the relationship. Wow. And she brought three three children, and then we adopted two together. Wow. So, you know, we had- Big family. Yeah, eight children. And everybody got a gift, Was though. it a smart financial move when you were out of work to adopt children? It wasn't. We should have, probably should have waited till I had a job again. But at the same time, I had been between jobs for about two years. And I think everyone just kind of gave up that I was going to find work. So, you know, my, my fourth wife, Trisha, she was she was the bread earner, basically. Yeah. Um, she worked at the Wonder Bread Factory. She worked at the Wonder Bread Factory. She Literally was, earning bread for the family. Right. I mean, we... A lot of crust at dinners. They... They throw out a lot of bread at a factory. What's for dinner tonight, Daddy? Crusts. Crusts. Yeah. But hey, crust the crust is the best part. <laughs> it makes you strong. You're going to get any kind of nutrition. Yeah, it's got to be from the crust. The inside of the what bread. What I'm saying is, is that yeah. I was four years old okay. at the time. Oh, you didn't want me to keep going down this You path. could. We could keep talking about your life for hours. You have a very expansive life in lore and history, but yeah. I'm saying I was four years old. I was a prime murder suspect myself or part murder target myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sexy little boy. But you were, you were in your late thirties. So tell me what was the media circus at the time? Like, you remember this case? Yeah, I remember. I, I remember this happening. Yeah. And here's my impressions from the time. Okay. It was a very dominant thing on, on the TV. Okay. Let me guess. You're doing... Gary, Ollie, Gary, what impression are you doing? You said, here's my impressions of the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Tell me what impressions you're doing. Yeah. I'm doing my Tom Brokaw. Their news media. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, God. God. <laughs> okay, let's, Bugwokers, erase this bit from your mind. Let's keep going. It didn't out. happen. <laughs> uh, Anyway, yeah. What what was that going on at the time? It was it was it was. I I remember it being very dominant in the media. This was a very big story. Yeah. Uh, at the time, you know, the news the news was a little bit different. I think mm-hmm. then for a lot of people because it wasn't so much of you get your news from the internet. You get your news from the TV, right? Primarily or the radio or whatever. So, um, you know, the, there was it was covered in the nightly news programs and everything. So there's a lot of focus on on this case. And 
I think that it is all those things that contributed to it, that it's, it's the garishness of a child pageant and the fact that this is a wealthy family living in a nice neighborhood, supposedly, you know, it's like, you think, Oh, well, this is, this is the kind of, you know, there's a little bit of that fear porn kind of thing where it's Mm. like, Oh, this shouldn't, something like this should never happen in a place like this. Right. But then it did. And people are kind of like, Ooh, what happened? And I think there was so much speculation about the parents. Yeah. In fact, coming into this episode researching, I got to say my initial impressions before doing any extra research are that it's one of the parents that was responsible. Wow. That this is a cover up or something. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I'm going to save it for verdicts, but I will see if my views we'll see have if changed. that held up. Yeah. Wow. So I think wow, a lot wow, of people wow. had suspicion about the parents at the time. I don't know that the is that intruder hypothesis was as popular then. Mm. Is it fair that people suspected the parents, John and Patsy? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it so depends on like, it flips every case, right? Like, what's this? It's like most of the time, if if something bad, like a molestation or a, it's always like it's always someone you know, right? Right. So at times we get mad when we go to investigations and we're like, how do they not suspect the boyfriend? How do they not suspect the the cousin or the uncle? Right. Um. But then it's like on the flip side, you know. I don't know. Do the parents of a fucking slain child deserve to be dragged to the mud? Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's I I I totally get where you're saying. It's a tough balance to strike because, on the one hand, statistics say, right. and this is what a lot of the authority investigators right. say is statistically speaking a child who gets killed is way more likely to get killed child children who get abducted children who get molested anytime a child's involved in a crime it's way more likely that the perpetrator of the crime was somebody who knows them yeah and somebody who's in their family right right which is pretty distressing it's fucked up that's fucked up but that's that's what investigators see as a statistic so i feel like they had a responsibility to investigate the ramses in fact when john ramsey comes up from the basement with jean benet's body there was only one detective at the house that was the only police officer at the house at the time because obviously they fucked up the whole initial investigation but at any rate one detective is there with them and this detective uh, linda arndt she's been in in an interview, she said that when John Ramsey brought up Jean Benet's body and he just lays it in the living room on the floor, um, Linda Arndt said that she like reached for her gun and was thinking about how many people inside the house she might have to shoot and how many bullets she had because she was like instantly convinced at that moment that John Ramsey had murdered Jean Benet. Wow. And so she thought this could turn ugly because I'm going to have to address this. <laughs> so obviously it didn't turn out that way. Like it did John, out. did, did John Ramsey have a, did she talk at all about his reaction? Was he believably forlorn? Well, there's, yeah, there's, they both seem like they had, emotion but the thing that, that or is it happened, like a chris watts situation where he's like oh man oh geez shanon and my kids 
yeah please come home boy sure miss those guys wish they would uh should we come back anyway here's here's the thing here's the thing that gets brought up a lot about john ramsey yeah and and the home in general is that day that morning they were expecting a call from the kidnappers based on the ransom note between eight and ten 10 a.m passed and it's so great i mean can we rule out that these kidnappers weren't comcast no because the window would have spectrum the con- the window would that's have been, true we'll call you between 8 a.m and 8 p.m right and then they just don't show up right that would very have, true the window was too small for it to be com- <laughs> to be a cable company <laughs> um but that window passed mm. and linda arndt's talking about how she's watching the clock she's on edge as the time is passing within this two hours right they're braced to get a phone call at the home and then 10 o'clock comes and there's nothing. And she goes and finds John Ramsey and he's just in the kitchen going through his mail. So it's like, this is right at 10 o'clock when they, this was the end of the period. So you'd think that logically, if you're concerned about this, the getting your daughter back, that was the window and it didn't happen. So you you would think that you would be like freaking out at that point, right? Yeah. That if that window passed, you didn't hear from the kidnappers. What do we do now? How are we going to get our daughter back? This was our this was our window. I struggle with that. I get it. I mm-hmm. totally get it. But I it's like a, it's yeah. a Gone Girl situation where it's like, I you know, obviously I don't have kids that I know about. <laughs> uh, I know about you know until I end up marrying my my alien wife that we right. discussed last week. Right. And having my half M and M, half human baby son. Right. In which case I'll know what it's like to be a parent. Right. Um, but you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a parent. I don't know what it's like to lose, you know, I've been in situations of extreme grief. I have lost family members. I know that, you know, sometimes you don't react in the way that people expect you to react. Some people are more stoic than others not everyone is hysterical with grief um at the same time you know it's like you kind of have to look at it like what the fuck is going on here like why isn't this guy distraught why isn't this you know it i I feel like it goes both ways like it's like yeah i mean maybe looking through your mail is a little but some people that's how they cope with things is they go back to routine yeah to to an investigator right that behavior seems suspicious right and i think that's a fair and valid and to thing a to lot say. of parents they probably go like, uh i would be freaking out right i would be distraught it's like would you yeah i don't know you don't really you know. Don't know and that that is true people process things differently i'll tell you burke ramsey has not been very vocal about the ramsey family about jean benet's murder nothing he has very little connectivity with the media. He recently went on Dr. Phil's show of all things at the 20th anniversary of Jean Benet's murder to tell his side of the story, basically. Wow. Kind of set the record straight a little bit. And there was a lot made of his demeanor during that interview because he's, he's like, he has this weird kind of, grin on his face the whole time pretty much and he laughs at different times and people felt like his behavior was 
I guess, suspicious or right. that he didn't give the proper gravity to the subject matter. And so much so that Dr. Phil even ran a bumper at the end of the episode, just himself, just Dr. Phil saying people have commented on Burke's demeanor and just keep in mind, this guy is socially awkward. <laughs> it's Dr. Phil, so he says stuff like that. Keep in mind, this guy is socially awkward, okay? Keep, it, keep in mind, he's... He's a little social weirdo. He yeah. works on computers and he works on computers. Doesn't know how to interact. Probably a virgin. <laughs> big, big virgin energy coming big off. Big of virgin energy coming on the show. So, but Doctor Phil made the good point that wow, Doctor Phil made a good point. But he did, he did that. He's that Burke was nervous. Uh, okay, yeah. This was an uncomfortable situation. This is not a topic he likes to talk about. He felt like he needed to do this so that he could be on the record. His sister died when he was nine years old. Mm -hmm. A massive media frenzy and circus happened. He was old enough to process that at nine years old. He even says in this interview that during Christmas, it gives him a bad opinion of the media because of how crazy everything was yeah. around his house. It ruined their privacy, basically. Ruined their privacy. You know, every goes, that name is attached to him. Mm -hmm. And then he has to grow up. That affects you. That changes you. And that. Yeah, it probably makes you a very uh, closed-off person. Yeah. That's the thing with those things. It's like, you know, sometimes you, you if you watch, there's like, you can watch like true crime documentaries on whatever, and it's like, there's ones on like uh, Jody Arias or, or Arias, or I forget how you pronounce her name, or like Casey Anthony or things. And it's like, or you can look up like body language psychology videos on people who have been convicted. And it's like, see, look, like this is not correct. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but we know in hindsight that they are guilty because there was other evidence or confession or DNA that eventually convicted that person. Mm -hmm. I feel like that can go both ways. Don't you think where it's like, yes, this is a unnatural way for a person to behave, but at the same time, or a sociopathic way for this person to behave where they're, they're like Casey Anthony, for example, uh, mimicking how a distraught person should act, but then in private, maybe and then maybe that's a bad example because then in private, acting uh, very fucking nonchalant and like she could give a fuck, right, about the fact that her daughter uh, was dead, right, um, or or a Chris Watts situation, the exact same thing. Like you watch it in hindsight, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my god, <clears throat> look at like look at how uncare, and it's like. I get it. Like it told, like it it adds that extra ganache, that extra little sauce on the top of the so tasty on the uh, criminal Sunday or whatever, what have you. Um, <laughs> but is it enough to convict? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. It could be a clue. It's a clue, an indicator, an indicator. But then that indicator has to be investigated, and then the person has to be. You can't it, body language isn't dispositive. You can't look at my body language and say you definitely committed that crime because of your body language. That would never hold up, you know? You would never be able to go into court and say, well, clearly all the body language of this person says that they did it. And the jury would go, I believe that, with no other evidence. Right, right, right. You know. So I agree with you. It could go both ways. Yeah, yeah. Now, Andy, you're a parent, but you're also an avid bedwetter. 
Um, you don't have any psychological or medical problems. You just think it's really funny to have your wife, who you share a bed with, wake up in a pool of your own piss. Is that yeah, true? I'm not even laying in the bed. It's not like I'm asleep. I walk to the edge of the bed and piss into it. I'm like Calvin on a mud flap. <laughs> I just piss right in the bed. It is hilarious too. She doesn't it's know so it's, she doesn't know it's me. So yeah. she thinks it's you know she's Somebody got problems. Else. She's got she's incontinent. She's been seeing a doctor. It's like nope, idiot. I've been pissing in the bed. Anyway. <laughs> oh good lord. What do you what do you make of that like that nightly bedwetting thing? Does that say anything to you? <sighs> that John Bonet might have been nightly bedwetting. There's it seems like there is evidence that Jean Bonet may have had quote unquote issue with bedwetting. A lot of kids bedwet. A lot of kids do. I probably bedwetted a few times. I have for sure. But never as an adult. Yeah. I would be so fucking pissed off if I pissed my bed because I love pissing in toilets so much. <laughs> Nobody should steal so that thrill fun. from me of pissing in a toilet. Uh, it's the best place on earth, the bathroom. The only place you ever get some goddamn peace and quiet. <laughs> Take that away from me. I'll be so goddamn mad. Yeah, I hate my loud, obnoxious bedroom. Sanctity of my toilet. But, but you know, yeah, everybody pisses it. You know, yeah. Piss your bed. It's the thing you do. Make of this what you will. Six years old. That's prime bed pissing time. People say Patsy wasn't prone to fits of anger. So yeah. it seems unlikely that mm -hmm. she would have exploded about something like this. That Jean Benet's bedwetting wasn't out of hand. Huh. That maybe it's not the greatest thing. Nobody, nobody particularly enjoys a bedwetting experience, but not something that... John and Patsy freaked out about or anything. You don't think it lends any credence to like, oh, they were abusing their child. Yeah. Because at some point they were found guilty by a jury of child negligence and abuse. Yeah. This Correct? is this is the thing that I think is really interesting is that the grand jury found sufficient evidence to indict them. Of child abuse. Of basically, yeah, being so negligent that it could have contributed, that it contributed to John Bonet's murder. Wow. What is Leaving that? Leaving the doors unlocked. Yeah, what does that mean exactly? Doing the child pageantry. What was the, what was the grand jury's thought process or what was the evidence that led them to that? We don't know for sure. That hasn't been made public, but they found enough to indict her. The district attorney wouldn't sign the indictment. A lot of people have speculated it's because they were well-connected mm. and the district attorney didn't want to mess with their well-connected friends because they already had, they had, they had money so they could have an attorney. They had a legal presence. Um, they, their libel attorney was Lynn Wood, uh, of all, of all people. And who's that, you know, the, um, he's the like election fraud. Oh, attorney guy. Oh, well, you can read about him. Oh, I'll read about him. <laughs> this show's not about Lynn Wood. The show's about the Ramseys. The so, Ramseys. So, but they had, they had a legal defense I mean, right away. They had a legal defense. So there's some speculation that they don't have that much money. The DA didn't right? want to go through all the stuff and blah, blah, blah. Enough money to go against the fucking state of Colorado. Well, yeah. They were, you know, they were well connected and stuff. So people people speculate that that contributed to the DA 
saying, well, I don't want to, I'm not going to pursue this. I guess he's making fucking defense contractor money. Yeah. Absolutely. God, what a 90s software company named Access Graphics. Yeah. Oh, they don't make them like they used to. No. Inatech, that's like Access Graphics. It's like, ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> little aside there. But but the, the district attorney has said that the reason the indictment wasn't signed is because there was insufficient evidence to bring it to trial. Hmm. That the grand jury found sufficient evidence to indict, but the district attorney then decides, will I pursue this? Do I have enough evidence to actually get a conviction? And the district attorney's opinion was that no, there was not enough evidence to convict the parents in this. So enough to indict and not enough to convict. So, yeah. And that's sort of like at that point, you know, the case had been so muddied and there's so much yeah. media attention around it. It's sort of like, how could anybody give a unbiased opinion? Well, and in a jury, right? Yeah. And the Ramseys contributed to that too, because they whipped up a friend. They went, they went to go bury Jean Benet. It was like New Year's Eve or something. They were in Atlanta and they went to CNN and were on the air. They didn't tell investigators they were going to do that. They gave an interview and where they were talking about finding the murderer. And they hadn't even done formal interviews with the police yet. They didn't do that until months later. So they contributed to this, to, to muddying the water. And like they said, it was because they felt like they would be this prime suspects and they thought that the police were going to ignore finding an intruder in favor of just quickly charging them with this crime, which is a weird take. They could have been advised to do all that stuff by their attorneys who were saying, yeah, just don't, don't cooperate with the investigation, muddy the water as much as possible. You know, use your platform to cast doubt on, whether whether you did it or not, use the use your platform to cast doubt on your own guilt. But of course, it helped contribute in some ways to people thinking they were guilty because of their behavior. Hmm. See, so it's very there's a lot of twists and turns on this. Yeah, I expected it to be. I expected to come into this and say, John and Patsy, they acted freaking weird. Suspicious. I think they did it. Not so sure. Man. Stuff. I mean, don't you think that if like one of them did it, you think, obviously there's fucked up people in this world. Obviously somebody killed a six-year-old. But you would think that like, okay, if you were John Ramsey, you found out your wife killed your daughter, that you'd be like, all right, yeah, marriage is over. <laughs> yeah. You would think. You'd think. You would think. And you definitely and the, think. And the vice versa. If Patsy found out that John was molesting Jean Benet and then murdered her to cover up the molestation, that she'd be like, I'm not going to protect you. Right. So that's that's led a lot of people to suspect Burke, that Burke accidentally hit Jean Benet in the head. With a pineapple bowl. <laughs> yeah. From stealing pineapple. And does a nine-year-old have that kind of strength? That's an eight-inch fracture in her skull. I mean, I don't know. Your skull's pretty sturdy yeah i mean a lot of siblings roughhouse right yeah i don't think eight inch fracture in the skull it's, it's a little beyond yeah so yeah that's 
that's but people have suspected that because that if Burke did it, that gives John and Patsy a reason to team up on this. Right. Because then at that point they're protecting Burke and not one of the other of them. Because then if, if they don't protect Burke, they lose both children. So, okay. Burke smashes his sister in the head so fucking hard that she like, yeah. And then, then, then they, then they stage a strangulation and kidnapping. Yeah. But the, oh my God, dude, the ransom note is so weird. The ransom note doesn't make sense. It makes no fucking sense. Nothing about, because it was written in their house. It had to be. I am so convinced that it was written in the house. Case confirmed. Yeah, case confirmed. There's no doubt about it to me. Because they find scraps, they found a scrap with a draft of it. It was written on a pad and a pen that's in the house. There's some speculation that somebody came into the house while the family was gone on Christmas day and was just waiting in the house until they came back and then waiting until they went to bed and then abducted Jean Bonnet. Jesus Christ. So this person could have had time during the, when they were gone on Christmas day, write the note out and then just secret themselves away. Cause remember it doesn't really look like it. I think from the pictures, this is a big house. It's like 6,300 square feet. Yeah. This is a, this is a big house. Oh uh, yeah. If they, you've ever been it's in three a, stories a, a, plus a, house, a basement. Yeah, a house that big. You could hide in a house like that. They like put an and addition. Nobody on, would know. Yeah, they put an addition on the back of it. So it's right. like, and Jean Benet's bedroom was like up in a corner. You know, Burke's bedroom was at the other end of the house. John and Patsy's bedroom was on a different floor. God, you ever been in houses like that? Yeah. Very creepy. Yeah. Big, too big. It's too big. Too big. So there's some speculation that. An intruder came in to the house while they were gone. Maybe somebody who was on this parade of homes, maybe mm. Bill McReynolds, Santa Claus. Mm. And somebody came into the house and just waited. God, that is. That's, that's creepy. Kind of, that's creepy, but also a little convoluted. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I will say that it's not. It's fucked up. I don't know, Andy. Is there anything else you want to bring up about the case before we get to verdicts here? Um, I assume, are we going to verdict on like who we think is the most likely suspect? I suppose we should. All I right. don't know if I'm going to be able to name a name. <laughs> I don't know either. Because it, there's kind of like, oh, that guy looks sus. And then, but the DNA, DNA, DNA doesn't match. Although people say with the DNA, maybe we'll talk for a second about the DNA. Let's talk about DNA. They found the DNA. I... You know, there was a DNA expert that I was watching talk about this who said that the amount of DNA that they found at the scene on Jean Benet's body makes it even less conclusive about who the person is because there's so much different DNA. Jesus. Possibility that it muddies the water sufficiently it's so that muddied. it's hard to pin it down that right. even if you find a match, is this touch DNA that's just incidental? Because they've even found like, you know, what they did is they got a pack of underwear from the store and tested it. There's DNA already on it because from the manufacturing part, I mean, underwear doesn't have to be sterile. So you could touch it with your bare hand. That'll leave DNA behind. Touch DNA. So what? Jean Benet's clothing. People are fingering my boxers? Yeah. And not even while you're wearing them. Fingering them at the factory. God. And factory fingered. Factory fingers. 
So the DNA, it's like, are they testing the right DNA? But nobody's matching. So you have that too. Have they just not found the right suspect yet? It's hard to say. Very muddy. All right. All right. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to verdict on plausibility. And I think that I'm going to say, how likely do I, like which, I'm going to give a verdict on the theories. Sure. Home intruder uh, versus Ramsey family. And then I'm just going to name a suspect. All righty. With no plausibility. So you think that's, you think that makes sense? You go for it, dude. Okay. You do, feel free to do it different. Do whatever you want, dude. So we, <laughs> listen, we came up with the fucking scale. Yeah, we can just, we'll do whatever the I fuck we want. I want. Did the Ramseys, did a Ramsey family member do this? I'm saying plausible. Hmm? I'm on the edge of my seat. Plausible minus. Whoa. I think I, I would have been like plausible plus plus probably before starting this. Wow. And I'm a plausible minus. I just, I'm not seeing the motivation. I'm not seeing they acted weird and stuff, but. I don't think there's enough to say, yeah, they did it. They have too much going on. I'm doubtful. To do this. He's He's got a successful software company being sold to Lockheed Barton. Yeah. I mean, he's got this big, beautiful house, nice family. They're big, fucking Big, winning. beautiful wife. Big, beautiful wife. I, so, I, I mean, people do fucked up shit, sure, yeah. but it's like... What do they have to gain? Ruin your fucking life and then bring a media circus to it all and then like tarnish your fortune and it's like what and i get the high i get the hypothesis of them doing it i understand why people would think that sure but it just doesn't it doesn't all add up to me on track but so the home intruder i'm obviously more plausible on this i'm going plausible plus and a half because i i really am kind of i'm very swayed that way that this was a home intruder but obviously i don't know you know there's nothing definitive and as far as a as far as a suspect mm, hmm, I this is tough but I think I think if I had to pick a suspect of the sus of the prominent suspects now I'm going with Michael Helgoth. Wow. Helgoth. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Now, why Why do you think Michael Helgoth? And what plausibility? Plausibility on this, I'll give plaus, plausible plus. Jesus, <laughs> plausible okay. Plus. <laughs> You're going off a boot print. Going off the boot. Um, the guy, I don't know. I just get a feeling about it. It's hard to tell how reliable Kennedy is as a source, his friend. Mm -hmm. But there's just something, there's something about it that I don't know. I know the boots didn't match. 
I, I just, I, I don't know. There's just something about it that it's like him or Gary Oliva for me. And I'm feeling more in line with, with Helgoth. Okay. <laughs> even then it's like, that's the flimsiest because he doesn't even match the DNA. It's so hard to say. That's your thing, man. Yeah. I'm very interested here. That's your verdict. Say. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my verdict here. So I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with you. I think plausible minus and a half for a Ramsey connection. Okay. Even less plausible. Yeah. I don't think they did it. Uh, I think that, you know, they're obviously odd people. I think that, I think I agree with your speculation that maybe an investigator or a lawyer told them to muddy the waters. They listened to it. They caused the media circus because these are savvy people. These are not idiots. They, they're going to listen to what they're, and they've never been, they've never been caught. So even if they did do it, whatever they were told to do did work. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like one of these things where it's like, listen, you're not, you're going to get hit, but you're going to come out alive, right? You're not going to go to jail for the rest of your life. So yeah, your family and your name got tarnished and like you lost all your money, but you guys are not in jail. Yeah. So There's uh, that. I, I think they did muddy the waters on purpose. I think that they did do the things with, Whatever you could, you could say that they purposefully caused a stir and wanted to get some fame and whatever from this and acted very bizarrely. I can't, I cannot beyond a reasonable doubt fault people for acting bizarre in a time of immense, immeasurable grief. Dr. Phil said it. Everybody grieves differently. Everybody grieves differently. Thank you, Dr. Phil. And you know, if Dr. Phil says it, you know, it's true. You know, it's the best and dr phil has never exploited anybody no he's a doctor the whole the whole the video that i watched of uh burke's interview by the way there was like this ad at the bottom you know they show mm -hmm. upcoming dr phil shows and there i wish i i should have written it down but it was something like about my my twerking knife wielding <laughs> car stealing 13 year old or something like, oh, classic, classic, Dr. Phil, classic. Plausible plus and a half. I think that Gary Oliva. Wow. Uh, abducted and murdered uh, John Benny Ramsey. Wow. Allegedly. Um, I believe that this guy is a convicted sex offender. I believe that he was in the area. He goes to the church. He knows the home. Mm -hmm. He knows what's up. He's familiar with the area. He knows the home. I think, I think what you said happened. I think he broke into the house, mm -hmm. waited in the house, wrote the note, um, had a stun gun. I think, I think he stunned her and then probably murdered her in the basement and yeah. then left through one of the many openings that they somehow just left. Yeah. This is a big house. Um, so He's there alone all day. He can get the whole layout of the house. So Lou Smith felt like the intruder went out the window mm -hmm. in the basement mm -hmm. and then went out under, there's like a grate out above the window, moved up the grate. And because people across the street heard like a clanging sound not long after the suspected time of Jean Benet's death, the, the issue with it is the cobwebs right. and the dust. A lot of people have pointed out how long was it? between that and when the investigators took the pictures. Right. Because a lot of that cobweb business comes from photos. And the investigators didn't do 
such a great job. So who knows? I'm looking at the bunker. The bunker's got cobwebs. Cobwebs form. Yeah. I I also agree. I'm going to say also <laughs> our plausible. friendly bunker spider, Dominic. That's right. Dominic, the bunker spider. Dom, and it's such a fun song to sing. Dominic, the bunker spider crawling up his web. What will he bring for you this year? Is he going to give you head? He gives BJs. That's right. He's the, you know, the once a year bunker spider who gives oral sex. Dominic. A new character. Hooray. Uh, no, plausible plus and a half. I, I think that he tried to kidnap this girl. I think he tried to stun her, kidnap her, put her in the suitcase, bring her through the uh, basement window. Couldn't fit it. Freaked out mm-hmm. uh, and gruesomely murdered her. Yeah. That um, that happens. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you see in true crime cases, these crimes of... Uh, opportunity or you know like crimes escalate like oh we're just gonna go steal and then all of a sudden it's like oh god there was somebody here oh god we murdered them oh no now we've murdered somebody oh no now we have to cover up the murder (laughs) you know yeah this is this is definitely one of those that if you did if you were trying to fit that suitcase through the window and you had the little girl stuffed in there and you intended this to be just an abduction and the suitcase didn't fit you can't stay there. You no. got to do something and you can't just let her go because right now she's seen you. Yeah. So you I have think to... that this is, uh, I mean, this is fucked up and gruesome and yeah. I think absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think like, uh, yeah, it's, I'm going to blame it on a fucked up pedophile for sure. So Good. plausible plus and a half. Plausible wasn't here to hear first bunk bunkers. Those are, my, those are our verdicts, Bunk Funkers. What do you think of the John Benet Ramsey case? What are your verdicts? What do you remember from the time of the case? Let us know. Use the hashtag. Hashtag Dominic the Bunker Spider. That's a very long hashtag. Use the hashtag Dominic the Bunker Spider. Let us know what you think about Dominic the Bunker Spider. <laughs> Let us know what you think about John Jean Benet's gruesome murder with the hashtag Dominic the Bunker Spider. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Let us know what you think. Uh, as always, you can email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. Mm-hmm. Find us on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, YouTube? YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Mr. Bunker pod. And then finally, if you feel so inclined, have the means to do so. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker pod. Get access to the bunker discord, the bunker newsletter, bunker sneak peeks from episodes. Um, and, and probably the, the, the big attraction is that you get extra episodes of our Patreon only show. Andy and our debunked every single month, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Wait. And, and hey, if you're looking for other bunk funkers to chat with, that's true. Don't, don't. Why not check out the, uh, the subreddit? That's true. That the Art, subreddit. Art nine. That did not. It is a fan created subreddit. Created. We had we nothing are not to do with affiliated it. with it. But you can go to reddit.com uh, forward slash Mister Bunkerpod. Reddit.com forward slash r forward slash. Oh yeah, thank Mr. you. Bunkerpod. I was close. Uh, otherwise, you will get a the Reddit four hundred four. 
Yeah, don't get the Reddit 404. So that's true, Andy. Good call. Yes, you can go there to uh, to talk about episodes or talk about your favorite bits. Yeah. But of course, um, Andy, is there anything you'd like to say? I just want to say I think it's terrible when children get murdered. <laughs> wow. Boldest take from Andy of all. What a hot take. Jeez. Definitely going to be hearing clips of that one. No, it's true. That's going to be sound bited. Well, that's going to come back to get me. Yeah. Um, it's true. It's gruesome. It's fucking disgusting. It's horrible. I don't care. I for hope it. one day that we are able to find this killer and uh, put yeah. them to rest. Yeah. But, um, but hey, that's all we could say. But, uh, you know, other than for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my irrefragable <laughs> co-host, Andy Hart, I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Yummy. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.